And be a warm welcome to our service tonight. We'll begin by singing Psalm 97 from Sing Psalms on page 128. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. <coughs> the distant shores express delight. Clouds and thick darkness cover him. His throne is built on truth and right. You can sing the whole psalm. <coughs> Shall we pray? 
Lord, we give you thanks. We can have our meeting here tonight, and we pray that you would meet with us as we gather around your word. Uh, we ask, Lord, that we'd have a, a prayer in our hearts, that we would hear your voice speaking to us personally, uh, whatever way we need that to happen. All, all of us at different times have our have particular needs, and we just pray that you yourself who knows our hearts, will speak to us in a way that would help us, uh, guide us, uh, comfort us, enlighten us, in whatever way we we need it. And we thank you that by the Holy Spirit uh, you are able to do that. As Jesus himself said, that when the Spirit would come, he would take the things of Christ and reveal them to us. And therefore we pray, Lord, that you would... uh, fulfill that promise and um, supply us with divine light as we've just been singing upon the righteous light does rise and there are many reasons why we need to have that uh, kind of divine provision often some of it's connected to our own uh, perception of things and perhaps to our own fears and we just pray Lord that if that is some of the concerns we have, that you yourself would uh, speak to us from your word. Often we are, are bothered about our sins and because of how they affect us in our, in our thoughts and in our uh, desires. And we thank you that your word has got many assurances to us regarding that, about the reality of forgiveness and pardon. And indeed, we could almost say your word goes out of its way to give us assurance in these matters. And it's a very common theme found in many places in your word. And we pray that as we look at one of them tonight, that you would uh, use it to help us in our current spiritual experience. We ask you, Lord, uh, to remember us then as we uh, have the evening of this, your own day. A day which you yourself have given to us for uh, reflecting on yourself and for, as it were, getting our spiritual bearings, and we just pray that that would be the case. Uh, We ask you to remember us at this particular time in our providence, whether as individuals or also as a congregation, and we just pray that you would uh, be assuring us that you are Uh, with us in both ways, whether as individuals or as a congregation. Uh, We thank you for your faithfulness, that you um, uh, show yourself that to your own cause, and we just pray that uh, your blessing will be upon each one connected to the congregation, and that you would provide for each of them. We ask you then to give us assurance from yourself that you you can lead us uh, into the future. Uh, the future is always unknown, but sometimes it raises um, the prospects of uh, difficulties and clouds and all these kind of things. And we just pray that you would give us um, the, the spiritual awareness that uh, all things are in your hands. Uh, we pray you just in there for remember us all uh, as families, and we pray that you bless each family. Uh, again, we remember the Rennick family, that you would uh, remember them. Lord, bless your cause for our nation. Um, we are in a very dark time spiritually as a nation, and uh, we need you to come and revive us. We know you've done it in the past. Uh, We can read about that in church history books. And we pray, Lord, that you would do it again, that you would stretch forth your mighty hand and reveal to our society not only that you're the living God, but that you're the God of grace and mercy. And we pray that in the midst of um, these uh, declensions that are happening rapidly, in our society, that you would come and show your gracious power. We pray your blessing on every congregation where it meets tonight. Um, We're aware that in some parts of the country there is very um, bad weather forecasts, and we just pray that 
uh, those who are gathering to worship you that they would be preserved from any possible uh, danger or trouble and indeed we pray for protection to be given uh, indeed for everyone as, as this uh, storm as it were passes through Lord, uh, we pray too that you would um, be with us as we go into this coming week. Uh, we don't know what a week will bring, but we thank you that we can start it by committing our ways into your hands. And we pray that we will be doing that, asking you to lead us as the Good Shepherd into the days ahead. So be with us in our service, we pray. Remember any who are not able to be here tonight, that you would bless them where they are. And be with us, we pray, and bless us. For your own name's sake. Amen. Uh, we'll sing again, this time from the second version of Psalm 145 in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 445. And we'll sing verses 17 to 21. The Lord is just in his ways all, and holy in his works each one. He's near to all that on him call, who call in truth on him alone. Verses 17 to 21. We'll stand to sing. letter of John, 1 John and uh, chapter 1, and we can read down to verse 2 of chapter 2, 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father 
and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And may God bless that reading. We'll now sing from Psalm 63 and sing Psalms. It's on page 80. And we'll sing verses 1 to 8. O God, you are my God alone. I seek your face with eagerness. My soul and body thirst for you in this dry, weary wilderness. Verses 1 to 8.
Well, we can um, turn back to the passage you read earlier, 1 John chapter 2. And I'd like us to um, think about the second half of verse 1. But we can read verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous and I'd like us to think basically about Jesus being the advocate it's generally reckoned that the Apostle John wrote these letters about AD 90 the the was called 1st John, 2nd John and 3rd John and that's about 60 years after uh, Jesus had died on the cross and ascended and returned to heaven and the gospel has made progress around the world and it has um, established churches Uh, throughout um, the Gentile world and it was inevitable in doing that that it would be affected by ideas that were uh, dominant in the outlook of all these Gentiles and one idea that was um, very prominent uh, was that what you did with your body didn't matter that um, what was important was what was done inside what you did with your thoughts and so on people in the ancient world didn't really value the body that's why they laughed for example when Paul spoke about the resurrection uh, on, on Mars Hill they they found his message to be uh, ludicrous because they they didn't believe there was any value in the body and therefore what your body did was of little consequence and therefore that's the background to the idea that they, some of them are saying there that um, verse 8 if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us I mean somebody could use their their hand to punch someone and the person that did that he would just say I've done nothing wrong because I've done it with my body and they could steal something and they would say they had done nothing wrong because they had done it with their body and that kind of outlook was just everywhere what you did with your body didn't matter and people took that idea into the Christian church and of course if you um, start thinking about it what you say with your tongue doesn't matter because it's part of your body and and they, a whole range of consequences come from that wrong outlook and um, the Apostle John is writing this letter to deal with or one of the reasons why he's writing this letter is to deal with um, reality of, of sin in, in the lives of uh, people but not just sins of the body because he gets a whole lot of things there uh, in the, the verses that we read about how we should react to these um, uh, ideas that, are, that were around at the time and of course we're, we're affected by the ideas of our society I mean um, the, we have other names and other words that we use for um, 
defects that we might have and uh, I think we just have to remember that um, the changing the name of something doesn't necessarily remove its implications for us and and John here as we can see from the verses that we read he's very concerned that his readers know what to do when they sin sin affects us in all kinds of directions it affects us up the way our, our contact with God and it affects us out the way we may say uh, with one another and it affects us inwardly in how we think about it and we just have to uh, react to that but the Apostle John is, deals with what I think was the most important question of all which is what does Jesus do about it what does Jesus do about it in heaven when we sin and of course that's a an interesting question from all kinds of ways because um, if we just ask ourselves a simple question and which might seem a silly question but if we just ask ourselves this question when did we last sin and of course the answer to that question is probably 10 seconds ago but uh, or even sooner but um, what did Jesus do about it when we, when we sinned <coughs> and up in heaven how did he react to our sinning we sin in our minds we sin in our, with our affections and we sin with our words and so on and it may be when we're in the middle of a, a worship service our, our mind wanders I mean we, we all do that how does Jesus react to that in heaven when his people their mind wanders or anything else that they might do that could come under the category of, of sinfulness and John brings that in as we can see in the words I once look at but if anyone does sin we have at that moment although the words at that moment aren't there but they're in, that's what it means uh, we have at that moment an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous now the, the word that's translated here advocate um, it occurs elsewhere in the, in the New Testament but it's not translated as advocate it's um, it's the word that Jesus used of the, the Holy Spirit when he said in the upper room that when he went away I will send you another comforter that's the same word as advocate it's translated here and in other places it's translated as helper or counsellor it's basically a word of that means someone that comes along beside us someone that's there to be friendly with us someone that comes along beside us to give us whatever help we need at that particular moment so if anyone does sin and John is not suggesting that there is anyone who, who doesn't do this he's just saying when anyone sins we have with the Father someone who wants to help us who wants to comfort us who wants to counsel us who wants to speak up on our behalf and the, uh, the idea of speaking up on our behalf is one reason 
why it's translated here as advocate because what do we need when we sin? Well, surely we do need someone to speak up on our behalf. So John reminds us of that here. Don't know if you ever what you thought of the poetry you learned in school. Um, most of it I learned. Well, it stayed in the school, and. Um, uh, forgotten it all by now but there's one verse which I think is quite helpful and it was written by Kipling and I think it's a verse that is very helpful for approaching Bible verses I'll just read it what he said he said I keep six honest serving men they taught me all I knew their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. Six men that help us. And I think they would be useful if we used them in approaching Bible verses. So this one here, if we take Kipling's six men, what is John saying? Or what is Jesus doing? And the second man is, why is he doing it? And the third one is, when does he do it? And the fourth one is, how does he do it? And the fifth one is, where does he do it? And the sixth one is, who does he do it for? So I think that verse is a very appropriate one just to bring to every Bible verse what, why, when, how, where and who so I'm just going to ask us some questions of this um, description of Jesus as an advocate and see what we can uh, learn from it and the first question is well why do we need an advocate? I mean he's He's talking about um, uh, people here who have been converted. Why do they need an advocate if all their sins are forgiven? The, the word advocate we know is, has got, um, well, there, are, there are advocates in our legal system and we might have them in mind when we read this verse, but I think it's important that we need to bear in mind that uh, the Apostle John wasn't writing within a British legal framework yeah, he, he was writing within the whatever method they, they used in the first century and um, so it's, I'll, I'll say something about some of the things that we might link with the word advocate which may not be always prominent here but but uh, why do we need an advocate if we're all of our sins are forgiven? I mean, the minute a sinner believes in Jesus, um, all their sins are pardoned, past, present, and future. And the justice of God is never going to raise an issue with them again. And that's an amazing reality. And... and um, it's very liberating to know that but at the same time why do we need an advocate well I've got a couple of reasons for that um, no doubt there's more but uh, we need an advocate because well the Heavenly Father might chastise us I mean the, the author of Hebrews tells us that uh, it's a common experience to be chastised for Christians to be chastised because of their sins and indeed he says it's uh, uh, an evidence of being a child of God that chastisement occurs but um, do we ever get the chastisement we deserve 
I mean, that is a question to ask, isn't it? Do we ever get the chastisement we deserve? And if we don't get it, why don't we get it? Well, none of us get the chastisement we deserve. But the reason why we don't get it is because of the Advocate. He does something that, as it were, minimizes the chastisement that we deserve. So that's, that's one reason why we need an advocate, because sin is offensive to God, whoever commits it. But a second reason why we need an advocate is that there's accusers. And there are uh, two accusers in particular that we can think about. I mean, one of the accusers is the devil. And in Revelation chapter 12, I think it's verse 10, we're told that one of the things he does is accuse God's people day and night in heaven. Constantly. So, if we apply that verse to ourselves just now, how often has he accused us today in the courts of heaven? If he's doing it constantly, how often has he accused us? And although he's the father of lies, he doesn't have to tell any lies if he's dealing with our sins. I mean, Jesus, on one occasion, spoke about Peter. Peter's sins and said to him, it's a very strange word Jesus said to him, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you as wheat because you deserve it, Peter but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not so we need a Defender in heaven. The accuser comes in, as it were, to God's presence. We had an example of that in the book of Job. The accuser comes in to God's presence and points out what he thinks are things about us that deserve to be punished. In Job's case, he suggested that Job's sin was hypocrisy. That he was just pretending to be righteous. But that if God took away all his <coughs> um, benefits, that they would see the real Job. And of course, the strange thing is that when God did take away all his benefits, they saw the real Job. So we need, we need a defendant. So we need a defender. And that's Jesus. But how can he defend us? We're guilty. Same time, our conscience accuses us. And that can be a very difficult experience. Because the thought goes through our minds. You say you're a Christian, but you thought that? Or you said that? Or you did that? And the conscience can be a very persistent accuser, it can just keep coming. And we need someone to defend us. That's why we need an advocate. An advocate in heaven. Second question is, what are the qualifications that Jesus has to be an advocate? We know that in any legal system, <coughs> that an advocate has got years of 
study and years of preparation and so on in order to become a qualified advocate. What are Jesus' qualifications? What would be, what does John tell us are the ideal qualifications? Well, one of the ones he mentions there is Christ's character. Jesus Christ, the righteous. When Jesus was here on earth, he, he lived a perfect life. He never had a bad thought, wrong thought. He never did a wrong action. He never said a wrong word. Everything about him was perfect. And he always spoke the truth. He always spoke what was right. As our advocate, he's not going to change his character. He is, as our representative in heaven, he's going to tell the truth, exactly as it is about us. And he's going to do it in such a way that he'll defend us, despite the fact that we are sinful. And at first, that might sound terrible. Because, I mean, in an earthly court, the advocate may know nothing about his client. He can't see into his client's heart. He doesn't know anything really that much about him, apart from what the client may have told him. But Jesus, he knows everything about the ones he's going to speak up for. And if he's going to tell the whole truth, how's that going to help us? Well, John tells us here that his righteous outlook, Jesus' righteous outlook, is the essential feature of his qualifications to be our representative in the court of heaven it's not just the 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 person in the witness box who's got to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth but the advocate has got to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth Another name that's given of Jesus, which I think comes into this idea, is in the book of Isaiah, where he's called the Wonderful Counselor. Which is basically that he always knows the right thing to say. He always knows how to assess any situation. He always knows what words to pronounced if that's what's necessary he just knows what to do and here we are sinners being accused and the one who knows everything about us and who always knows the right time when to say whatever he's going to say or do whatever he's going to do he's our representative how can the fact that he tells the entire truth about us help us in the courts of heaven? Well, that leads us to the next question. Where is Jesus, Jesus positioned? Where is he up in heaven just now? I mean, if we go to... Uh, a courtroom we'll see the an advocate and he is standing before the, the judge and his position tells us he's not in charge doesn't it 
he's representative he's representing his client but he's, he's not in charge of what's going on in the room he stands away from the person in charge the judge where is Jesus in heaven what position does he have and the answer to that question as I'm sure we all know is that he's, he's not in front of the throne but he's on the throne he told his disciples didn't he when he when he was about to leave uh, the world all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth not just some authority but all authority it's not just authority on earth but it's all authority in heaven so when however Jesus is going to respond to our sins it's never going to be a suggestion it's always going to be a what we could call a dogmatic statement assertive one that carries total effect where whatever he does or whatever he says will be automatically effective he's on the throne you have to remember that he doesn't step off the throne in order to represent us he represents us when he's on the throne so whatever he does will be a response of power and that's good for us to know so that's the case he's on the throne and that leads us to our next question what plea does Jesus the advocate make well a little clue is given in the in the word with we have an advocate with the father now <coughs> there are lots of English words but one of the issue of of um, English is that the word with is not very precise I could say I was with so and so does that mean I was beside them or behind them or in front of them it's not precise is it to just to say you're with somebody we we need the person who's saying that to expand on what they were meant by the word with but you wouldn't have to do that if you spoke the language in which John wrote this letter because in Greek there are several words translated with and some of them mean side by side or behind us but the word that's actually used here we have an advocate with the father means that they are face to face they are looking at each other and the impression that's given by the way John describes things here is that they're looking at each other constantly so Jesus the father sees him the father's looking at him he's looking at him whenever we sin and what does he see what does the father see well he sees what the angels see he understands far more about what he sees than what the angels understand by what they see he sees 
seated beside him on his throne a man who's also his son with wounds on his hands and his feet and his side whenever the father looks at the son that is what he sees he sees wounds he sees a man with wounds and the father knows why the wounds are there they are there because he suffered on the cross and Jesus extraordinarily seated there on the throne face to face with his father doesn't have to say a single word he doesn't have to say anything about anyone down here who have sinned his wounds speak far louder than any words could ever speak and the father never takes the size of these wounds and Jesus never stops showing them so every time you and I sin the father sees these wounds and Jesus shows them and that's the answer why there's constant forgiveness So you would just say something that we sinned at six fifty five. How does heaven react to that sin from six fifty five? Well the Father sees the wounds and Jesus shows the wounds. How many people sinned at six fifty five? How many people around the world tonight at 6.55 sinned? I'm talking about believers. How many of them sinned at 6.55? Well, probably all of them. Because nothing they do is perfect. And yet, at that moment, instead of just looking at the, the way they've fallen short, the father looks at his son and sees his wounds and Jesus doesn't have to go around looking for any mitigating circumstances but every time we sin he just shows his wounds and that's constantly effective it can never fail And it's wonderful to know that, isn't it? I mean, John stresses that here when he says, Jesus is the propitiation. The word propitiation means that he has borne away wrath. He has taken it away by paying the penalty for sin. You know, it's, it's impossible for God, as it were, to be angry if his wrath has been turned away. And Jesus on the cross paid the penalty for sin. And God the Father sees that all the time. It's extraordinary. So when our advocate, we could ask the question, what is the outcome of his advocacy? And remember, we don't just need him at 6.55, we need him at 6.56 and 6.57 and 6.58 and so on, all throughout the rest of our lives. What's the, what's the outcome of his advocacy? He's always 100% successful. There's never an occasion where he fails. 
His wounds declare that. His wounds just cry far louder than any accusation by the devil and far louder than any accusation of our conscience. His wounds cry far louder. God the Father hears the the value of these wounds. And of course we should as well. I mean it's good for us to repent of our sins. And it's important for us to repent of our sins. But it's not our repentance that gets forgiveness. Our forgiveness comes because there's a man on the throne who's marked by wounds. And that will never change. It's sufficient for everyone that trusts in him. So we trust in him. That's what happens. And the strange thing is, if it is strange, reminding ourselves of that doesn't make us decide to sin more. It actually tells us to strive not to sin at all. Even though we'll know we'll fail. Realizing that the man on the throne has got wounds in his hands and side is the most powerful thing to make us hate sin. How much does Jesus charge for his ongoing advocacy? Well, as we know, it's all free. In a real sense, he had to be the, he had to pay the price in order to be the advocate. But since he now is the advocate, he gives his service always free. And no one has ever got to pay anything to get the benefit of it. So up in heaven, what's Jesus doing right now with regard to our sin? What's the Father doing with regard to our sin? Well, if we want to put it this way, both of them see what Jesus did at the cross. The obvious lesson for ourselves, and we'll stop with this, but the obvious lesson for ourselves is we're to remind ourselves of what Jesus is doing in heaven. Don't we? It's never an excuse for our sin. But the fact is, we are sinners, as John makes clear. If anyone says he has no sin, he deceives himself. But if, when we sin, we refuse to look and see what's going on in heaven, we're depriving ourselves of spiritual comfort. And we just have to, we can't ever condone when we sin. But when it happens, we have to say to ourselves, up in heaven, there's this amazing transaction, as it were, this amazing shared perspective taking place. That the Heavenly Father on the throne looks at his beloved Son on the throne and sees his wounds. And the Son always shows them. And therefore, once again, we're forgiven. It's wonderful to know, isn't it? And we're to, we'll close with this, but we're to think of that immediately. Before we do anything else, whenever we sin, whatever it is, before we do anything else, we are to think of what's going on in heaven between the Father 
and the Son. And that will help us in our ongoing process of sanctification. And of course, if we don't know Jesus yet as our advocate, well, that's one of the things he offers to us, that if we trust in him and depend upon him, then he will become our advocate as well. So it's a wonderful advocate to have. Someone who helps us, who's there to speak up for us, who's our comforter, and who will counsel us, counsel us to remember what's going on in heaven whenever we sin. Shall we pray? Lord, we, we give you thanks that not only did Jesus do something incredible when he was here on earth, and when we think of the cross, we are lost for words to describe what it means. But we also know that he now up in heaven represents his people that he is their great high priest that he's their intercessor that he is their advocate and he's their constant advocate because they need him constantly and we thank you that his advocacy is always effective and there's nothing that can be done that can make it ineffective that it is there and it's constantly accepted by the Heavenly Father and we just just pray that we would appreciate in our own outlook on life the wonder of how you deal not only with the pardon of our sins but with the fact that we continue to sin while we are here in this world so Lord help us we pray and bless us we ask for Christ's sake Amen We'll sing from Psalm 106 in the Scottish Psalter it's on page 378 and we'll sing verses 1 to 5 give praise and thanks unto the Lord for bountiful is he his tender mercy doth endure unto eternity verses 1 to 5 and we'll stand to sing
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.